Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We will cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Julie Gunderson, at Julie underscore Gund on Twitter. Today, I'm really excited to have on our show Mandy Walls, our new DevOps advocate uh, from PagerDuty. Mandy, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Julie. Uh, My name is Mandy Walls. Uh, If you'd like to find me on any social media, I am LNXCHK. And today, we're going to talk about some of the things we should be thinking about with COVID, what it means for new normal for uh, folks working and uh, running software and what it means for people in operations. We are joined today by J. Paul Reed. He's a senior applied resilience engineer at Netflix. And uh, get us started. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here in our COVID lockdown home offices. Well, J. Paul, I have to tell you that Netflix has has really personally saved me during this <laughs> this lockdown. But before we get started talking about really what COVID means for the new normal, I would like to also address other very important topics with you. What do you got? Um, one one of them, yeah, it's uh, it's season two of Messiah. Apparently, <laughs> Netflix did not renew this, and so obviously. This is something that you can absolutely directly take care of for me. Is that correct, Jay Paul? That is correct. So what I will do is uh, I'm going to go file an incident ticket right now. Uh, and the summary will be uh, Julie needs Messiah season two <laughs> stat. And we'll get we'll get that going for you. No, it, it's it, it's funny too, because um, I, I have been at Netflix for, I think it's a, it'll be 11 months. And all of my friends are like, hey, can you... Can you get another season of that show? Can you? It's like that's that's like a whole other division that uh, I'm not in. But we can still work on it and see what we can do. I, by the way, I liked Messiah too. I like that well, the the it had that last episode had a cliffhanger esque feel to it, didn't it? It really did, and I feel like there are unanswered questions. And you know, it's interesting. I think I'm not alone in the world in the fact that streaming services at least brought. Uh, more to our lives when we've been stuck at home, right? And I'm kind of curious, like, that's a pretty big, big, big burden on, on, on Netflix to make sure that there's all the bandwidth even just to think about everybody. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So when, when we kind of had the initial lockdown in March, I mean, we certainly felt, I think, as, as, um, as the core team. So a little bit, I, I, I didn't get through this. Like, so I'm on the core team and core stands for critical operations and reliability engineering. Um, and so what we do kind of the simplest way to explain it is we are on call for Netflix. If Netflix is down, uh, we are pretty much uh, the first in the the company, you know, down for our customers. We're pretty much the first in the company to really get an alert about that. So we're kind of that front line. Humorously, you know, speaking of COVID, my... (laughs) My mom, uh, you know, we're all picking up like interesting COVID habits, right? My mom, her thing to do that she's doing right now is if she sees any of her friends post on Facebook or something that Netflix is down, she texts me, is Netflix down? <laughs> she's like, she's kind of helping, you know, helping the team, uh, you know, uh, make sure that that Netflix is up and available. But I think, I think, you know, we all at Netflix kind of felt the pressure of that uh, when the first 
kind of lockdowns were in place because people were, you know, relying on us to bring them that moment of joy in an otherwise very stressful and, and very, um, you know, rough situation being cooped up and, and a lot of uncertainty. Um, and so we saw a lot of people, you know, um, turning to, you know, shows that are, you know, their, their favorite, you know, kind of just escapist type things. Um, and so we felt that that pressure to make sure that the service, you know, was stable for for all of those customers. And so as a core team, one of the interesting things that we did uh, really early on is we actually treated COVID, the situation, as a as an incident. So we have an ink ticket for it that was a long running incident. So, I mean, can you imagine? And so I, I'm trying to remember, we kept that incident open for, I want to say six weeks. So we treated it as a full-blown uh, incident the way we treat any other incident for six weeks. And so we, we had daily meetings on, uh, you know, what was your kind of, I think they, in the calendar, they were called it now your moment of COVID-19. Cause I, I put that, that on the calendar. Um, but yeah, we got together and, and, uh, you know, looked at what were our challenges for, for the day, um, around this situation in this, you know, kind of unprecedented, uh, time in our history, uh, and both for world history and, and for, you know, Netflix as well. Yeah, so a long running incident like that, it, that and that's crazy, but it, it turns into like, this is now going to be normal for a long time. So like, what kind of challenges are you seeing converting from the thought, well, this is an incident, and this is going to end to this is potentially permanent? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. And and so what we were looking at r- real early on um, are, you know, is the, you know, um, are, are we able to, to uh, serve streams to our customers, right? Are we able to provide those we call the moments of joy, right? Which, again, really needed in that time. So a lot of the initial focus was really on, you know, what is our impact on, on the internet, right? And and this was kind of publicly reported, especially in Europe. Some countries asked us to actually use less of the internet during this time because so many people were streaming. So we had to do some, you know, work around that. And there was a lot of coordination for teams uh, across the company to, to make that happen because uh, we, you know, wanted to make sure that we weren't, you know, uh, harming the internet when people were, you know, using it for work stuff and all of that became a really critical part of the infrastructure. But so there was a lot of focus early on on sort of technical challenges or technical things. You know, one of the things that we looked at are what we, as a thought exercise, a part of the incident, we went into like, what do we think could happen? And it was really an exercise that was focused around, like it was a planning exercise, right? That whole idea that that plans are worthless, but planning is, is um, super important. And so we went through and looked at a, a number of various scenarios that were actually driven by COVID, right? They were things that you know, we may have thought about in the past, but with the new context of COVID, you know, we wanted to look at them again. Um, so we did some scenario planning there. And what we sort of started to realize, though, as we got to your point, Mandy, we're a month in, things are still locking down. Two months in, things are still locking down. And then like three months in, they're starting to come back. And now we're like four months in, and then now they're locking down again, right? So one of the things that we saw about month two is we started to shift our focus less and I should say this from a core perspective. So what we're thinking about in a, in a, in this incident that we're talking about, we started to um, shift our perspective less around technology and systems and making sure they're stable and all that. Cause, cause we had, you know, um, some good evidence that, that things were going to be fine. Right. At that point. And we started looking more at like the people impact, 
right? The, the impact of people on call, the impact of working from home. Um, and, and there's been a lot of people talking in our industry and throughout other industries, you know, if you are working from home, what's, what's that like, you know, we've all had the, you know, the, if you remember that, um, that guy in the, what was it? The BBC in yeah, the Korea reporter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Korea. Yeah. Where the, the daughter comes in, right. We have all had that moment with, with coworkers. And it, it, it's funny, right. For me, because you know, my, my, I, I had a roommate for 10 years and he moved to take a job in LA uh, right before COVID. So I'm actually in the apartment all alone now. Uh, and so it's so funny because my coworkers are like, oh, being alone must be great. It's like, no, it's, it's like just grass is always greener, right? You know, so, but, but we started really looking at like, what are the, from an operations perspective, right? So you've got, you may have an operations team. If that operations team was understaffed or underwater when COVID happened, now you've got a whole other set of problems to think about with that. And so we really just started like kind of looking at, all right, you'll hear me say a lot, the word socio-technical systems. Because that socio part is about the people uh, in the system and the people responsible for you know keeping it running and and the operate uh, operators the uh, ops folks. We started looking less technical, more socio. That didn't mean we ignored the technical part, but we started looking. All right, you know wh- what's the impact for for p- folks people? Let's talk a bit more about that impact. I mean, just like surface level impact, one of the things that I think a lot of us have seen that I've heard is that uh, it seems like we're doing so much more work now, right? It seems like people expect that infinite capacity because you're at home, everybody's in front of their computers. Like we know that people aren't necessarily taking vacations as much as they should. Although pager duty is strongly encouraging us to make sure we're taking even staycations, but I never want to hear the word staycation ever again. like, I know. Yeah. Let's let Jay Paul go ahead and close out this incident <laughs> so we never have to hear it. Uh, but what are some of those impacts that you're seeing? Well, so one of the things that you said that was really interesting, and we've been we've been talking about this on core and, and parsing through what we're seeing on other teams. So one of the things that I should mention is the way Netflix does kind of service ownership is, you know, you it, it's the standard kind of you write a service, you're on call for it. So uh, if you're on an engineering team at, on uh, at Netflix, you are are likely going to be on an on-call rotation for your team. So the core team will page you into an incident. We, we use PagerDuty for that. And so one of the interesting things is that means we have a really large data set of like what people are experiencing, what we're seeing with uh, paging rotations and that sort of thing. So uh, we we have a, a we, we we've been starting to kind of parse through that. We also have started kind of, we actually have a a kind of monthly kind of socio-technical systemic risk meeting. So we've started actually talking about the impacts of of working from home. One of the things you brought up though that I thought was really interesting is you said, it seems like, uh, it feels like we're, we're all working more, right? As soon as you said that, I was amused because you've, we've all heard this. I'm sure time has no meaning, right? Um, So it's like, are we working more? Does it just feel like we're working more? Like time has no meaning. You know, I, do you remember that news studio uh, the, or the the local news broadcaster that they had the weather guy just like, what day is it today? And he would do this little do to do. And it was like, it is Tuesday, right? But we, we have noticed that um, very interesting, similarly to technical systems, there's a difference between capacity and availability, Right. A system can be highly available but have reduced capacity. Well, people are the same way. And um, what we're finding, and I think this this certainly resonated with me when, when we started talking about it, is that we may be highly available or as available as, as people expect us to be. So we might be eight hours, you know, online in our home office or whatever the case may be. 
but people's capacity is reduced during this because of, of the stress of COVID. And then when, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests and, and, and all of that was uh, happening on the national stage, that was a huge capacity impact. So one of the things that we've started to talk about is parse apart that distinction between availability. I might, I might be available, by the way, I might not, I might have to go take my kids, take care of my kids, you know, so maybe I can only work half time. I know some folks are impacted by that. So that that's an availability question, but there's also something to that around. I may be available, but my capacity may be reduced. And so teams really should not conflate those two. Um, they're not the same thing. Um, and that's, I think, important for realizing um, where we might need to give our team members, um, you know, a little bit of grace um, and where where we can help them be as effective as they can be given the constraints that we all now have. Yeah. So along with that, like, do you feel like that's going to change the way people build their teams in the future? Like, I mean, we're kind of assuming that, you know, the pandemic's not going to last forever, but like the pundits are convinced that working in an office is, is, is over for a lot of people that a lot of the structure of the way uh, folks do their work is going to change. Like, how does that roll into your your day-to-day operations? Do you feel like we're going to need more people working in operations to deal with these availability and capacity issues? So that's a that's actually a really interesting question. I think one of the biggest changes that we'll see with the remote stuff and and you see the large companies Facebook and I mean even there's discussions in Netflix, right? Around do you need to be on site? Do you need to be in the Bay Area? You know, can we do remote? Uh, is there a value in doing remote? From a purely tech perspective, um, the longer that COVID goes, I think you're going to start to see, you know, organizations that traditionally were like, no, you, you have to be on site. They may return to that. And and I want to be very clear, there's discussions in Netflix about it, but, but no, because we can't predict the future, right? There's no conclusions, but I think there are discussions around it. And so you might see more sort of distributed ops teams. And that is one of the things, interestingly, that we have seen as a challenge in some of the, you know, incidents that we've seen during this period around coordination and work coordination when you're responding to an incident, right? Mm, sure. The, the, the cost of that uh, has increased. And there can be, if, you know, if you're not used to, do, to that way of managing an incident, it can be pretty difficult. Now, one of the things that, that we uh, as a core team at Netflix do is, is we actually manage all of our incidents uh, on Slack. And then when we were in the office, we actually had an office um, or a, a conference room that was, was our like kind of battle command for incidents if we needed it. What's interesting though, is because we practice doing incident management on Slack as much as possible. I mean, that was our de facto way of doing it. We have been able to sort of pivot pretty easily to having everybody just be on Slack from home. But there are teams, what we found, though, is a lot of times we might manage the incident on Slack, but other teams that got paged in, they would huddle up in the office together. There might only be one person on call, but they would huddle up and then work the problem together. They're having to find different ways to coordinate. That works for them. So for some of them, that's a hangout. For some of them, they're able to kind of reason about it in their own Slack channel, but it's still has a different tone and tenor to it than when you're all literally sitting in the, you know, the bullpen of your team uh, at the office. So that's one of the things that we, we actually see as an impact there. So if we look at like, you, you know, everybody's going to lean into doing remote, I think there's going to be some, you know, challenges there from an incident response perspective, because I wouldn't necessarily say it increases the cost of coordination. It probably does if you actually look at it, but it certainly changes 
what you need to think about as you're coordinating. And if you don't have a lot of practice doing that, that's where I think um, you're going to see more people trying to solve that problem and drilling on that and doing that kind of work with their teams. You know, one thing that we talk about uh, at PagerDuty a lot is 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 the incident commander role, right? And kind of bringing all those folks together in that coordinated response. But being an incident commander is stressful. COVID is stressful. Incidents <laughs> are stressful. Working from home, layers of stress upon stress. What are ways that maybe we can work to reduce this? Or, or why is this also stressful still? Aside from COVID, we know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a good question. So, so uh, let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw the question back at both of you because because I, I always find the answer interesting. When you're doing um, incident commander stuff, or you've been involved in an incident, why is it stressful to you? Have you ever delved to think? I mean, because because what you said is totally accurate. It is stressful, but why? You know, for me, I think it's because you're constantly thinking about that impact to the customer, right? What is that customer experiencing? If I'm experiencing this stress, can you imagine what it's like for them? Uh, so you're thinking about that. And then also, you know, there's the thinking about what's the impact to the business. How can there, there's all of that? Everything's coming down and, and it just seems like it's the most important. Well, it is the most important thing at that moment. And it's that need to get it resolved quickly. And so I think that. I, I mean, I wonder, can you remove that stress outside of practicing and having defined roles and defined rules of engagement? I mean, how else can, can you make it easier? Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, uh, but Mandy, why, why, why have you found it stressful? Yeah. So for a lot of the same reasons, like being pulled in a million different directions and like, especially mm -hmm. if you I mean, I will, I will confess that the last time I was in a major incident was probably before most of this stuff got codified as like a way of working. So working with teams that don't necessarily have the muscles or the muscle memory to sort of uh, flex the, the right roles and who's going to talk to the business and who's going to talk to the customers and, and have all that stuff sort of laid out. And a lot of that stuff rolls into the, to the person running whatever the incident happens to be. And so that was my experience with it. So like it was the, definitely the, the being torn in a million different directions, but also trying to solve the problem at the same time and having a lot of different masters to answer to for the way all that stuff goes. And that's, that's totally the way you're living your life right now. Like you're trying to work. And if your kids are at home, you have all that stuff going on. And like, plus I freak out every time someone rings my doorbell, like I grab a mask and my, my, sanitizer and I go to the door like that additional layer of craziness is is just just wild yeah so um this has come from uh work that uh Jay Bloom he's over uh, in uh Red Hat's global transformation office but he's doing his PhD in design and what he's looking at is actually uh long-term design like how do you design artifacts like a city that are supposed to last like 300 years or 500 years, right? How do you think on those timescales? So one of the things he's looked into is like, how do humans perceive time? One of the other things that happens, right, is we talk with each other and so much of our daily lives and our work depend on stories, right? So the example he gives, and I really like this one, is if we go into a coffee shop and we go up to the barista, we expect a story based on all the stories that we've heard about that interaction and what's going to happen, right? And so that is a way that we can basically reduce our cognitive load. And you can see this if I said, hey, I'd like a cup of coffee. And they say, would you like fries with that? We're going to go, that's, 
that story that what you're what you're doing doesn't doesn't the story doesn't make sense, right? So why is all this relevant? In an incident, we have told our customers a story. We've told our leaders, our business leaders and business partners a story. An incident in a complex socio-technical system that we're talking about is a, an instance where the story has broken down. The promise that I've made you that's implicit in the story about the service will work is no longer true. So what has basically happened is that then if you scope into the incident, the stories that we engineering teams told each other turn out to not be true. Or the story that AWS told us turns out to not be true. And the reason that it's stressful is because all of the inferences that we made about the future and the stories that basically reduce the cognitive load for us are not true, which means we now have to pay attention in the moment. And the bandwidth to do that on our brain is incredibly high. We have to pay attention to every little detail because we can't rely on the stories that were told to us about these systems anymore. We have to pay attention, right? Okay, what does the database actually do that? Like, wait, that's not that's not right. And that overhead of our brains is super, super uh, heavy. So that's why it creates stress. Now, one of the things at Netflix that we're really thinking a lot about is, okay, and this has impacted every every you know team in, in the same way, is we had to basically reform the stories. Like all the stories that were told were about society and the economy and all of those things broke down because of COVID. And that's one of the reasons it's not only stressful at work, it's like stressful at home and life because you've got these impacts that there's like the impact of like, now your kids are always with you and you have to, you know, uh, tend to them and, and, you know, you're worried about them, but also like all of the other stuff that you're talking about, uh, Mandy, I, I love the example you gave where like, you ring the doorbell, the story about what's going to happen when you ring the doorbell has changed, right? So when you go back and look forward thinking about what does this look like in operations, the reason and one of the things that I'm a little worried about is we we yes. teams are going to have to come back together and they're going to have to figure out what the story is. And then they're going to have to share all those stories with all of their partners, whether it be their customers or their business leaders and all of that stuff. The story is very incoherent now and we have to make it coherent again. So you were asking like, Okay, well, in an incident, how can you reduce that stress? One of the things, and you were talking, Mandy, about like uh, muscle memory. One of the skills that a really good incident commander has is they're able to shift through time. And what I mean by that is they're able to look at the story of two weeks, four weeks, six weeks of the promises we made about the system they're they're working the incident on and say, okay, how is that story different from the story I see in the next five minutes or the story I see in 10 minutes. And what you find really fascinating is when incidents start to become less stressful, or you could ask, when do incidents start to become less stressful? They start to become less stressful when you say, oh, I think that's it. And I think if I fix this, it'll fix in 10 minutes. It's basically when you are able to tell a story that is coherent with everyone and get get back to this long form you know, six, eight weeks, six month story, right? And so that's one of the things I think that we're just starting to emerge. And and I see this in a lot of different places, lots of friction between people because they haven't realized their stories that they told each other aren't actually there anymore. And they're not coherent if they are yet. So there's going to be a period, I think, in the next, when we talk about, and, you know, we talked about working remote, that's going to add to it, right? So I see, I, I think you're going to see these 
sort of, when you want to say systemic stressors, right? And that's like working from home and those things. Those will probably start to ease up. We're highly adaptable as a species. So we'll get used to that, but there's going to be, and I, and I, I see it, you know, on teams that I, that I have friends on, you've probably seen it on your team. We've seen it on our team. Like we had an offsite, a team offsite to figure out what we're going to do for 2020, the last week of January. And we, you're laughing at that, right? It All of those things that we came up with are, are not a thing anymore. So we're going to have to, as a team, revisit that. And it's going to have to be a conscious, deliberate activity. And teams should be prepared to, to do that. And I think that will actually start to help construct a new normal, if you will. One last thing I'll add to that. We knew that we couldn't keep this incident going as it became clear that COVID was going to be a thing for a while. We knew that we couldn't keep the incident open. So we started talking about what are the exit criteria and how do we want to like coherently think around the incident? And what we basically came to is we wanted to help Netflix navigate the increased requirement for teams to become adaptable, right? So there was a lot of patterns that that we relied on that started shifting because of COVID. And so the incident was really about, okay, we need to step carefully and lightly because we're learning how to be increasingly ad- adaptive in this new environment. And so for some folks and some teams, the requirement to have adaptive, we actually call it adaptive capacity, right? The requirement for that adaptive capacity has has actually has gone down, right? Because they've figured out, but for other teams, they're still having to be adaptive and innovative in the way that they do work, but they know that now. So they know what they need to do to keep that adaptive capacity level high. So that's when we, that's how we decided, okay, you know, that with a couple of other extra criteria, we were able to say, okay, we, we feel good about the state of risk with respect to COVID in sort of the Netflix socio-technical system. Yeah. So many things to keep top of mind as, as stuff changes. So all right. So on the podcast, we have two questions we ask everyone. Uh, so I'll ask the first one. Uh, what's one thing you wish you would have known sooner when it comes to running software in production? What's interesting is as I have focused more on post incidents and, and incidents in operations, um, it's the people, man. It's people all the way, you know, people all the way down, right? Um, and so a lot of times it's so interesting to me that, that we talk about working in complex systems, but then when, when it comes to incidents, people are like, yeah, yeah, it's a complex system, but it's the dominoes, right? And if I stop the dominoes or don't tip the dominoes over, then it, we won't have the outage, right? And then, so there's this very like linear way of thinking about stuff. Um, and, and the dominoes don't account for the people, right? And so um, it's just th- uh, that idea, like, like, um, if you uh, are on a team as an operations person or a developer or a business person, right? Um, the people operating your system are doing way more work than is visible to you. Um, and that, and that goes across even the operations teams, your teammates, we, we do stuff constantly to keep the system up and running and we don't really even think about it that way. So, yeah, I wish I'd known that in my career, I mean, I only really leaned into that, I don't know, five years ago. Um, and I've been doing this for 20 years. So I wish I would have learned that, you know, uh, it's funny if you can imagine I was a bit of a, a bit of a asshole in college, I would have been less of one. Um, if I had known that it, there was actually people and it's not just scripts and computers and stuff running. I never believe that never in a million years. Um, <laughs> and our second question, uh, is there anything about running software that you're glad we didn't ask you about? 
Um, that's a good question, right? The answer might be like, why is it people all the way down? I'm kind of glad we didn't really delve into that, right? Some of the secrets I've learned in doing retros with teams, I'm glad you didn't ask me about some of those because they're fascinating, but they're not things that like, I'll tell it, I'll, I'll, I'll write a tell all book for the industry in like 30 years. Yeah. Someday, man. Someday. <laughs> and by the way, you know, you know, what's funny about, yeah, what's funny about that is I'm, I know both of you. I know we all have those stories, right? It should be like an anthology of, you know. I'll buy it. Incident I'll stuff. buy the book. Do one every year, right? Like the year's best horror stories yeah. in production. There was a, there was, I can't remember. Somebody on Twitter was saying that they wanted to do, what was it fail conf or something? They want to do a conference that was just like, you get on stage and like, there's no recordings and it's, you just actually give the real dirty laundry. I would go, I'd be there in a second. Yeah. After COVID though. Yes. And after everybody puts their phone in that basket in the back of the room. <laughs> yes. Or with those, those little, uh, those, you know, those little lock things, the little pouches. I went to a, I went to a, who was it? It was a comedian. Um, and, um, oh, it was uh, Amy. Uh, she's on, has a bunch of Netflix shows. What's her name? Uh, Amy Wong, I think. Anyway, we all had to put our phones in the little bags and I, and I'd never done that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, we'll, we'll do that next 2021. There you go. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, Jay Paul, I mean, I just want to say thank you so much for for being on our show. If you if you had just one sentence of wisdom you could tell people to get through this time or your favorite Netflix show, you can do that as well. I uh, you know, I can do both. I, it took me a second to come up with one. Um, but uh, so Dominica de Grandis is great. I love her. She's awesome. She um, used to talk a lot about when she was talking about Kanban of respecting reality. And so the bit of wisdom I would say right now is we need to respect reality. And as a part of that, we need to give each other a little bit of grace and we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace. And we need to keep remembering that until we're through this because it's really easy to forget it. So that's the word of wisdom I would say there. Favorite Netflix show right now? Ooh. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Okay. I just found out, and I've been tweeting about this. I just found out that they have put Supermarket Sweep from 1993 on the service. I have been watching, I've been savoring it just like a couple episodes a night. Uh, but but it is so, because I used to I used to get a snack every uh, afternoon when I got home from school and I'd watch Supermarket Sweep. Um, which that should have been a signal for a lot of things, let me tell you, uh, back in the day. But love that show. Um, and then when I'm not watching that, I've been watching um, Dating Around. Oh, and I just finished Space Force too. Oh, they're all they're all great. I don't generally like dating shows, but I actually really like Dating Around um, because the the editing and the camera work is super interesting. So watch an episode of that if you, even if you don't like dating shows. We can take a pause to like thank Netflix for the pandemic gift that was Tiger King as well. Oh. Yes. Oh, yes. Totally. It feels like it was five years ago, yeah. but yes. And by the way, uh, listeners out there, I didn't mention this. I'm um, at J. Paul Reed on Twitter. If there are other shows uh, that you want to put on the the you know request list along with uh, Messiah, just you can tweet me. I'll 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 see what I can do. All right. I'll schedule a one on one with Ted Sarandos. Oh, that is. Fantastic. Um, thank you. Just to let you know, what I've been watching is Mindhunter and The Good Place. That my The Good Place is my, I have now watched it three times because, yeah, I mean, you just have to. Mandy, what's yours? 
Uh, my brainless rewatch right now is uh, I'm gonna about to kick off a 21 season rewatch of Midsummer Murders. Um, if you're looking for some good white on white crime in Britain, like it's 20 years of of craziness there, so um, that's a fantastic one. I, you know the one thing I like. I'm not rewatching it, but you know this whole cake meme thing. I did rewatch the one Star Trek Next Generation episode where Deanna Troy is a cake in Data's Dream. Because I was like, I want to see the cake meme, but like they did it, you know, in the, in the 80s or like, I didn't know, 90s, I guess. Um, so yeah, that was my, my other guilty pleasure watch. Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, that'll wrap up our, our show for this episode. Uh, so I'm Mandy Walls. I'm Julie Gunderson. I'm Jay Paul Reed. And we're wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. That's at pageittothelimit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.